0: Lizzie. I'm here with Sally Starflower on Red Fem Radio. Today our guest is Lear Keith. She's a radical feminist author and co-founder of DGR and Wolf. She has a new book coming out and we'd like to hear all about it. Hi, Lear. Hey, thanks for having me on today. Thanks for coming on. Go ahead and uh, fill us in on, uh, on your book. Um, yeah, so the book is called, called Break Green Lies and I wrote it with two of my friends, Derek Jensen and Max Wilbert. And where can people uh, find it? Well, they can get it um, on my website or on the website of the other authors. Um, it's also available in the United Kingdom. Uh, I did not know that until yesterday. Yeah, there's actually um, two different places you can get it from if you're over there across the pond. Um, believe it or not, Amazon UK has it. I don't know how my publisher did that, but they've got it. And then there's also a small independent. Um, sort of a conglomerate of little independent bookstores and they're carrying it as well. So I can send you those links if you wanna add that. And this is my introduction to the book. So in the beginning, 2 million years ago, now don't worry, I'm gonna go fast. The genus Homo arrives on the plains of Africa and that's us. Uh, Homo Homo sapiens arrives 400,000 years ago and by 200,000 years ago, They are identical to modern humans. By 100,000 years ago, we're burying our dead and we're doing it ritualistically. By 50,000 years ago, we have modern human culture. People are making clothes from hides, jewelry, musical instruments. There's more sophisticated hunting techniques. There's barter and there's art. We're painting a lot of animals. And this is the second most common art project. The oldest known musical instrument was found near her. That's a flute carved from a vulture bone. And there are the remains of the usual reindeer, cave bear, ibex, mammoths, all the animals people were eating. The first art we ever made was of the megafauna and the mega females, because that was who gave us life. The first thing we did with our human consciousness was say, Thank you. I think this is the beginning of religion and that the sacredness of awe and thanksgiving is built into us, body and brain. But for all that time, for two million years, we were not monsters and destroyers. We were participants. If the length of that field is our time on earth, it's only the last half yard. That represents the time we've been doing agriculture. The last one fifth of an inch would be the industrial revolution. So at half a yard is where the disaster begins in maybe 14 places around the world people completely change their way of life with an activity called agriculture in very brute terms you take a piece of land you clear every living thing off it and i mean down to the bacteria and then you plant it to human use so it's biotic cleansing this is a rack one of the places agriculture started. No one in their right mind would call this place the Fertile Crescent now. This is Iran, 94% of the land is degraded. That's not a mountain in the background, that's dust. That's soil that's been turned to dust. One third of Pakistan is at risk for desertification. 150 years ago, that was a teak forest. You pull down the forest, you rip up the prairie, you drain the wetland, you exsanguinate the world of water and soil and species and the process of life itself until all that is left is dust. So to state the obvious, no culture that is destroying the basis of life can be called sustainable. Really, it can only be called insane. Uh, This is South Dakota on the first day of the Dust Bowl. In all the places where agriculture started, human society follows the same pattern. It's called civilization. Now that word just means people living in cities. What that actually means is that they need more than the land can give. Food, water, energy have to come from somewhere else. From that point forward, it doesn't matter what lovely, peaceful, nonviolent values people hold in their hearts society is dependent on imperialism and genocide because no one willingly gives up their land, their water, their trees. But since the city has used up its own, it has to go out and get those from somewhere else. And that's the last 10,000 years in a few sentences. This is simple arithmetic. If you have one planet, one blanket of air, one cradle of soil, one place called home, and you destroy it it's one minus one this is the pattern of civilization over and over and over there's a bloated power center surrounded by conquered colonies from which the center takes what it wants until eventually it collapses that collapse takes between 800 and maybe 2,000 years until the soil gives out make no mistake the planet has been skinned alive and what should be habitat for millions of creatures turns into salt and dust. Agricultural societies end up militarized and they always do for three reasons. One, agriculture creates a surplus. If it can be stored, it can be stolen. So the surplus needs to be protected. Number two is imperialism. Agriculture is the war against the natural world. Eventually the agriculturalists need more land, more soil, more resources. So there's an entire class of people whose job is war whose job is taking land and resources by force. Agriculture makes that possible. It also makes it inevitable. And three is slavery. By the year 1800, when the fossil fuel age began, three quarters of the people on this planet were living in conditions of slavery, indenture or serfdom. The only reason that we've forgotten this is because we're using machines, fossil fuel to do the work. And of course, once you have huge numbers of the population in slavery, you need someone to keep them there. The symbiosis of technology and culture is what Lewis Mumford called a technic. A social milieu creates specific technologies, which in turn shape the culture. So he writes, a new configuration of technical invention, scientific observation, and centralized political control gave rise to the peculiar mode of life we may now identify without eulogy as civilization. Its herculean feats of mechanical organization rested on ruthless physical coercion, forced labor and slavery. This centralized techniques created complex human machines composed of specialized, standardized, replaceable interdependent parts, the work army, military army, the bureaucracy. These work armies and military armies raised the ceiling of human achievement. The first in mass construction, the second in mass destruction, both on a scale hitherto inconceivable. Technology is anything but neutral or passive in its effects. Plowshares will require swords and then armies of slaves and soldiers. The technic that is civilization has required weapons of conquest from the beginning. Farming spread by genocide, the destruction of Cro-Magnon Europe, the culture that bequeathed us less go, took maybe 300 years by the farmer soldiers from the the Near East. The only thing exchanged between the two cultures was violence. All these artifacts are weapons, and there's no reason to believe that they were exchanged in a nonviolent manner. Technologies contain the transmutational force of a technic, creating a seamless suite of social institutions and corresponding ideologies. Technics are never neutral. Their ideologies will either be authoritarian or democratic, hierarchical or egalitarian, or as Chalice Glendening wrote with fair eloquence, all technologies are political. So the very creation myth of Western civilization tells men to dominate, to conquer, to go forth and multiply. No hunter-gatherer is told by God to willfully overshoot the land's carrying capacity and no rational person would listen to such a god. Alongside agriculture, metallurgy and mining developed as another authoritarian technique. The first metal tools were mostly weapons and they were copper, but copper was quickly replaced by bronze, which is made from an alloy of copper and tin. Um, Iron came next and finally steel. It's not possible to overstate the deleterious effects that metallurgy has had on human societies and biotic communities. It hardly matters which material we examine, the horrors are the same. The forest stripped to bare rock, the rock hacked, bludgeoned, or bombed into cavernous pits, the pits engulfing sweeps of land that will not recover until the next ice age recedes. Surrounding the devastation is always more, the leech ponds, the toxic tailings, the acid rain, the ulcerated fish, the fine particulates shredding lung tissue with every breath. This photo is of a toxic lake 60 miles wide, the result of mining for rare earth metals to make solar panels. In the eight centuries of Rome's reign, it covered Greenland, which is 4,000 miles away in 800 tons of copper and 400 tons of lead from its mine. Victims of Rome's industrial pollution may have numbered in the millions across Europe and the Middle East. The health impacts then as now are gaslight, convulsions, vomiting, diarrhea, anemia, stunted fetal growth, mental retardation, and cancer. Wadi Fainan in modern-day Jordan was the site of an ancient copper mine to Thousand years has not been enough time to heal the damage from the vine. To this day, quote, the growth of the plants is stunted and their reproductive systems severely damaged. Sheep have disturbing concentrations of copper in their feces, urine, and milk. Goats from the area are in high demand because they have no parasites. But quote, this is almost certainly because their guts are poisonous. A deathly monument of slag still rises 30 meters high. This is why mines are fiercely opposed by the people condemned to endure them. 2000 years ago, this was a cedar forest. And so the work army requires the military army. Slaves have to be conquered and then controlled. The silver mines of ancient Greece funded its vast imperial army. Devastation, destruction and slavery spawning more of the same. That is the totalizing scale of authoritarian techniques, which both creates and then requires hierarchical social relations, turning humans into machines that convert more life into more machines. And as all of this develops, the slavery, the militarism, the hierarchy, the culture becomes patriarchal. The moment men create private property, they want to control paternity, which means they need to control women. Masculinity is essential to any militarized culture because that's the psychology necessary in soldiers. One can only kill on command if the human impulse to care for one another has been subdued or eradicated and if the psychological process of othering is well entrenched. Central to masculinity is a violation imperative. Men become, quote, real men by breaking boundaries. For the entitled psyche, the only reason no exists is because it's a sexual thrill to force past it. The real brilliance of patriarchy is right here. It doesn't just naturalize oppression, it sexualizes acts of oppression. It eroticizes domination and submission, and then institutionalizes them into masculinity and femininity. So it naturalizes, it eroticizes, and then institutionalizes domination and submission. The brilliance of feminism is that we figured that out. So all of it merges in that masculine violation imperative. That imperative includes breaking the sexual boundaries of women and children, the cultural and political boundaries of indigenous people, the biological boundaries of rivers and forests, the genetic boundaries of other species, and the physical boundaries of the atom itself. Authoritarian techniques require a specific social arrangement, patriarchal, hierarchical, militaristic, specialized, and mechanistic. All of that requires, as it produces, an internal theological rationale that life is a series of disconnected objects, things that we might call plants or animals or rivers not complex beings with whom we are engaged in relationships. Mechanical objects are not self-willed creatures. They don't call respect from us. They barely deserve notice. They exist to be used. René Descartes bragged, I have described this earth and indeed this whole visible world as a machine. Our science is a series of discoveries designed to let us use them better and use them we have there is no break in the system. Why would there be? Indeed, violation is built into mechanistic science. Francis Bacon, who is credited with the creation of the scientific method, was also a legal inquisitor at witch trials. His practical objective was bluntly, quote, dominion over creation, which could be achieved by, quote, the inquisition of mechanical experimentation. 300 years later, Eric Fromm describes sadism as, quote, the passion to have absolute and unrestricted control over a living being. Is there a more apt description of industrial civilization? Its technology has emptied rivers, crushed mountains, damaged the climate, and broken the boundaries of the atom itself. And the end point of sadism is necrophilia the passion to transform that which is alive into something unalive, to destroy for the sake of destruction, the exclusive interest in all that is purely mechanical. Or as Mary Daly put it in 1978, patriarchy is itself the prevailing religion of the entire planet, and its essential message is necrophilia. Having declared the cosmos lifeless, industrial humans are now transforming the biosphere into the technosphere a dead world of our own artifacts that life as a whole may not survive. So that's chapter one of our book, Bright Green Lies. Um, I was trying to set the framework for the rest of it. And we have three main themes in the book. So the first is that industrial civilization requires industrial levels of energy. That's what it takes to fuel the wholesale conversion of living communities into dead commodities. That conversion is the problem. The task before us is not how to continue to fuel that conversion. It's how to stop it. The second point is that fossil fuel, especially oil, is functionally irreplaceable. The proposed alternatives like solar, wind, hydro, and biomass will never never scale up to power an industrial economy. You can't argue with physics. Bill McKibben likes to say, no, you can't. And he of all people should know better. Third, the proposed technologies are in their own right assaults against the living world. From the beginning to end, they require industrial scale devastation, open pit mining, deforestation, soil toxification, that's permanent on anything but a geologic timescale, extirpation and extinction of vulnerable species, and oh yes, fossil fuels. So-called green technologies are some of the most destructive industrial processes ever invented. And the scale of them is grotesque. They will not save the earth. They will only hasten its demise. Once we fought for the living. Now we are told to fight for their deaths as the turbines come for the mountains and solar conquers the desert. Every last one of us descends from a line of people who fought as civilization is universally resisted, but our choice is now very stark, stand with the living or go down with the dead. for listening to Red February